As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday MBA, interviews with best-selling authors, innovative thought leaders, and top-shelf executives, all sharing their best techniques and tips that you don't learn in business school. I'm your host, Kevin Crane, and I'm so pleased that you're listening. Our guest today is Michael Neal. Michael is an internationally renowned author, educator, and thought leader, challenging the cultural mythology that stress and struggle are a prerequisite to creativity and stress. His TEDx talks, Why Aren't We Awesomer? and Can a TEDx Talk Really Change the World? have been viewed by two million people around the world, and his books, including Super Coach and Creating the Impossible, have been translated into 19 languages. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Now, in Supercoach, let's talk about Supercoach for a moment. You give us 10 secrets to transform anyone's life. What's one secret that I should know? The one that I'll often start with with people is in some ways the most impactful and sometimes the hardest to get your head around. So I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. But it's that... All behavior makes perfect sense within the context of somebody's thinking. So in other words, given the thinking that we have that looks real to us, we're doing absolutely what you should do, even at the extreme. So if I think, like if I really believe that aliens are trying to probe my brain for my secrets, then it makes a lot of sense for me to walk around wearing tinfoil if if I think that tinfoil is going to protect me from their probe. And it's it's the behavior is completely sane, predictable, and even good within the context, within the premise that I'm living in. It's just that so many of our premises are faulty. So people try to change behavior directly, but it always is an act of will because the way that they're behaving is exactly how you would behave if you if the world was the way you thought it was. Do you think that applies to where we are in the world today, politically, and we're divided on uh, so many, in so many ways? So it sort of explains a lot. Right. It, it is fully explanatory. And, and, and but it, what it points to is a different leverage point for change. So if we are trying to initiate any kind of change across a company, across a a, a country across a culture, everyone tries to do it either behaviorally, in other words, you need to act this way instead of that way, or 
thought. You need to think this way instead of that way. And the problem with it is, is it's kind of doomed to fail because as long as my fundamental premise doesn't change, the fact that I can temporarily change my behavior or thinking, it's not going to, it's not going to stick. It's like treating the symptom and not the disease or the... Absolutely. It's like trying to change the symptom. So instead of sniffles from my cold, I have a stomach ache. It might be preferable, but I'm still sick. Whereas, and here's the contrast, if you've driven to work the same way for 30 years and it takes an hour and it's traffic, and but that's just the way it is. And then somebody shows you a shortcut that gets you there in 15 minutes without the traffic. It's done deal. You, you no longer, you don't need willpower. You don't need practice. You don't need discipline. You're going to start driving that new way immediately. And if just out of habit, you forget and start down the old route, as soon as you notice, you'll change direction. You won't need somebody outside constantly telling you and reminding you, hey, you're supposed to go that way, not this way. So how do we apply that today? If I'm about trying to influence someone or a group or, or a market uh, or make that sort of change, how do I connect to that premise level that you're talking about? Well, what you've got to do is learn to listen. You have to actually get to know, get a feel for, get a sense of the world somebody's living in and not, you, you know, politics is a great place to see it even though it's a lousy place to attempt to influence it in the, in the small. It's a glaring example, isn't it? <laughs> because, because it's not that people are living in the same world disagreeing about what to do. They're living in fundamentally separate realities. And so the reason that logical discourse rarely moves the needle is because we're both right in our separate realities. In my world where these people are evil and these people are good, Everything you're saying is nuts. And in your world where the other people are, are, are good and the other people are bad, what I'm saying is nuts. So as long as we're trying to influence people without acknowledging that we're starting out in different realities, we're up against it. It's not that we can't do anything. It's that lasting change and lasting impact are very unlikely over time. And that listening part is so critical because it seems like we are not listening at all to each other, regardless of how, uh, whatever kind of high horse we may think we are on. And, and it, it, you know, one of my, one of my mentors, uh, says, you know, everybody can use the good listening to, you know, we think everyone needs a good talking to, or when we're planning on how to influence somebody, we'll think about, well, what arguments am I going to make? What points am I going to make? What am I going to try and convince them of? Well, that's the exact opposite of listening. All right. You have to be be willing to listen and then also be willing to hear. You, you, you can pretend like you're listening, but not really hear it or take it on board. Oh, I remember I used to do an exercise on my trainings. In um, I, I did a lot of work in the UK. I was based over there. And I, w- I would do these listening exercises, conflict resolution exercises. And we would deliberately go after the most extremes. So we would take an Israeli-Palestinian split. We would take a Northern Irish, Southern Irish, uh, uh, you know, split. And all we would do, like literally the, the, the entire game was to just continually make sure that what one person thought they were hearing is what the other person thought they were saying. No, no preference, no 
emphasis that, well, no, I'm saying that. No, is what you think you're saying, what you think you're hearing and vice versa. And I never had it go wrong. It's in a way that it's that simple, but we're absolutely, we come into it with the premise that they're wrong and we're right. And that's just not the basis for influence. Unless you have power. Like if you have enough power, right? And that is a style of management, a style of leadership a, that you can see played out, then you can force compliance. But compliance and buy-in are not the same. That's right. Compliance and, and loyalty and excellence are not the same. No. Getting compliance is, is way too low a bar if you really want to create growth and change. All right. Let's shift gears a little bit. What do you mean when you say that stress and struggle are not a prerequisite to creativity and stress? It seems like everyone's stressed out and struggling and busy, but you're saying that that's not the way. No. And, and it's, there's a sort of a line that's been getting a lot of play again recently, which is the difference between causation and correlation that correlation is not causation. So the fact that you will always see more fire trucks around fires doesn't mean fire trucks cause fires. The fact that you will always see more umbrellas when it rains does not mean umbrellas cause rain. But we think the fact that we feel stress and pressure a lot around work and around creativity and, and, and achievement means that there's something to do with it. They are an occasional, often actually not occasional might be wrong. They're, they're a common fallout from it but they come from a misunderstanding of what our feelings are, where they come from, what they're telling us. So the, the, my work is based around something I call the inside out understanding, which is just a recognition that we're living in the feeling of our thinking, not the feeling of our circumstances, not the feeling. So if you think of a, a check engine light in your car, the ch and, and you've got your speedometer and you've got your tachometer, if you've got one, and you've got all these your oil temperature and levels and all that. All those readouts are telling you about is what's going on inside your car. They're not telling you anything about the road. They're not telling you anything about the traffic. They're not telling you anything about if you're heading in the right direction. They are 100% real-time feedback mechanisms for what's going inside on inside your car. Our emotions are the equivalent of that for us. They're not telling us about the world. They're not telling us about good, bad, right, wrong. They're not telling us about other people. My check engine light coming on doesn't mean there's something wrong with your car. It is telling me that my thinking is off, that it is less trustworthy than at other times. So in other words, if my engine's working perfectly, I don't have to think about it. I can just go. But if there's a problem, I have to drive a bit more carefully until it sorts out. Same thing. Our emotional system is telling us in real time how trustworthy our thinking is. Minute by minute, moment by moment. But we don't interpret it that way. And so consequently, we spend an incredible amount of time and energy trying to get the check engine light to go off by changing the world. Michael's digging in deeper here to our human condition or our human way. It seems to me you're really about tapping deeper into why people think and act the way they do. Well, one of the ways that, in fact, my newest book, which will be coming out in a few months, depending on when this comes out, but it, it is subtitled 
a user's manual for human beings. And so in a way, what I have found, and I spent years going the other way, I spent years trying to change people's minds and change their heads and change their body, like doing that kind of interventional work. What I found is that when people understand how they already work, and we all fundamentally work the same, even though we've all got our idiosyncrasies and individuality, they self-correct beautifully. In other words, we're so well-made that if I know, I mean, this is maybe a simplistic example, but it's one of the best ones that I found. I went once to teach in Mallorca, beautiful island off the coast of Spain. And uh, got there in time. I'd heard the sunsets were amazing. And I deliberately got a room with a balcony where I'd be able to see the sunset. Get up to the room. I cannot get the door of the balcony open. I, I, I tried the knob. I tried pulling. I tried pushing. Nothing. I called down to the front desk and they, they, they go, well, have you, have you tried check to see if it's locked? I'm like, of course I've checked to see if it's locked. You know, what kind of an idiot do you think I am? They send somebody up. It was a sliding door. I'd never seen a sliding door with a handle on it, with a knob. So it didn't occur to me. Once I saw how it worked, done. No huge learning curve to go on. No reconditioning process. No changing my thinking through affirmations for the, oh, I didn't understand how it worked. And so once people understand how they work, 90% of the problems that they think they're up against disappear. Because the problem isn't an indication that you're broken in the same way as my problem was an indication the door was broken. It just means you, you don't know how it works. And we think, well, how can I not know how it works? We've been, well, it's because it's a, it, it's a cultural misunderstanding. It's a global misunderstanding of how we work. That's why my first book is called The Inside Out Revolution, because it is fundamentally wrong the way we've come to see our psychology. Hi, it's Courtney Ream, co-author of Shortcut Your Startup, and I'm here on Everyday MBA with Kevin Crane. It's time to reach new customers in a new way, and you can do that when you become a guest on Everyday MBA. Get your subject matter experts heard or get yourself heard on the show and talk about your ideas and advice. Talk about strategies and tactics that will make a difference in our changing business environment. Find out more at everyday-mba.com slash guest. That's everyday-mba.com slash guest. You're listening to Everyday MBA. We are with best-selling author, educator, and thought leader Michael Neal. Michael's TEDx Talks, Why Aren't We Awesomer? and Can a TEDx Talk Really Change the World? have been viewed by over 2 million people around the world. Michael, why aren't we awesomer? Well, in a way... It's because we believe everything we think. <laughs> so, so much of our time and energy, A, is spent in, in support of a faulty premise, in support of some ideas about the world that wouldn't stand up to scrutiny, that are true when you think them, but aren't universally true. And we spend the rest of our time and energy trying to fix our feelings, trying to find solutions to the way we feel by changing the world or changing ourselves. 
And when people see, firstly, there's no such thing as a solution to a feeling. So that's off your plate. Your feelings are a feedback mechanism. It would be like saying, I don't like what my thermometer is saying, so I'm going to add more liquid to it or, 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 or siphon some liquid out of it. That's not how a thermometer works. But we personally will spend so much of our time and energy medicating the feelings. And I mean medicating with things like exercise and alcohol, not just actual medication, or trying to change other people or the world around us or our circumstances or conditions to change the feelings. If, if that's off the table, if we go the check engine, the point of a check engine light is not to get it to go off because it bothers you. The point is to check your engine and then it will go off when your engine's working properly again. I had an old Honda that the check you, engine light came on and I, it just, oh, it just came on and came on and came on no matter what I did. And finally I started ignoring that check engine light and I think it finally just burned out. <laughs> that is not what you're suggesting. Well, that, that is not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is actually our, our check engine light is trustworthy. You can absolutely, what your feelings are telling you in real time is this is what the thinking you are doing feels like. And if my body, if I'm sitting in an uncomfortable position and I become aware of it, I, I shift. If I put my hand on a hot stove, that discomfort immediately, I'll move my hand. But when we feel uncomfortable emotionally, our response is to try and fix the discomfort as opposed to just go, oh, I need to get off this thinking. You know, so I'll use the metaphor in Supercoach. I use the metaphor of a traffic light. In a way, your, your, your emotional state is telling you red light, as in your thinking is so likely to be so off right now, no matter how sure you are that you need to send your ex that text, or you need to tell that employee this, or you need to, it's like you, don't, you just need to back off your thinking for a minute. It might be a, it, when you're just a little wobbly emotionally, it's just telling you yellow light, you know, proceed with caution. And when you're in flow, when you're in that, you, you know, where you're almost not even that aware of your feeling because it's just easy, it's, it's straightforward. It's our base state. It's the way we're made to operate. Well, that's like a green light. You don't have to think about it. You can just carry on. You can, your thinking is as trustworthy as it's going to get. And so when we start to understand how we actually work, the second thing, I, I, I kind of said there are two reasons why we aren't awesomer. One is that. Well, well, the other is we think the world is what we think it is. We don't know there's a world beyond our thinking. We don't tend to see that our, our thinking is a, is a self-contained system. So, of course, everything we think looks right because we literally are filtering out anything that isn't, that doesn't fit. And so in the, in the talk, I, I show a number of optical illusions where, where some people think they're looking at an old woman. Some people think they're looking at a young woman. Some people think they're looking at a, a cube. Other people are looking at empty space. Some people think there's a girl spinning to the right, others spinning to the left. They're all looking at the same image. But it's just a way of highlighting we are always making it up. It's just we're so good at it, <laughs> we don't notice. It's, there's a, the physicist David Bohm had a great line. He said, thought creates our world, and then says, I didn't do it. And so it's, in a way, the mind is like a one-trick pony. It's just such a good trick, we fall for it every time. 
Well, Michael, I like to get into how do we do it. And in creating the impossible, you help us. Uh, you help us manifest success with, with a, a process to get any project out of our head and into the world in less than 90 days. Can you describe that process and how it helps us accelerate our plans and our success? And, and the, the less than 90 days is, is to highlight it. Because if you kind of put a tight time frame around it, it's easier to see. It's, it's like if you ever remember any of those flip books, we have a little like stick figure in the corner. And if you flip it really fast, it looks like the stick figure is walking or dancing. If you turned one page a day, you would have no idea what's going on. So the 90 days is artificial. It's not saying every project needs to happen in 90 days. It's saying I, I found over more than a decade of doing this program that 90 days is a good time frame where you can really see it you really start to see, oh God, this is how it works. And, and essentially, we're sort of taught that the way things happen in the world is sequential. It's Newtonian. It's, if I do this, that will happen. I remember once having a, a, a coach tell me, if I throw a brick through a window, that window will break. So if you throw the same brick through a window, that window will break. But I had a physics teacher who pointed out that if you kick a football, either kind, soccer or football, if, if, you, if you kick a ball and I know your leg speed and wind speed and friction coefficient and all of that good stuff, I can predict within a, a, a centimeter where that ball will wind up. But if you kick my dog, there's no telling where he's going to wind up. And so we try to apply Newtonian physics to humans. And humans don't work that way. The world is much more fluid than that. And so while it's very comforting to think it's like a game of billiards where I can predict if I hit at this angle, the ball's going to go there. In reality, it's a living system. And so the way things get created is far more um, quantum, where things are going in a direction and then suddenly they, 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 there's a leap and, and it goes 10 times faster than you thought it would or maybe in a different direction than you thought it would. And when you start to understand that that is how it's supposed to be, then that suggests a very different way of creating what we want, You know, where we can't break it down anymore to, well, if I make this many phone calls, I'll make this many sales. Okay, yeah, you can kind of do that. But if you want to make a dramatic difference in your sales, you can't do it by just upping the number of phone calls. Something else needs to shift. And in creating the impossible, what people start to see is it's a real-time process. It looks impossible because you literally aren't at a place where you can know what the next step is until you get there. And that freaks people out until they realize, oh, well, if that's how it works, okay, that's how it works. And then you start to work with the system instead of trying to impose a linear system on top of a living system. You are listening. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Everyday MBA. Do you want to get into podcasting but don't have the time, technology, or expertise to get it done? 
Maybe you want to create a podcast for your company or feature a happy customer in an audio interview of their own. My audio podcasting services give voice to your success and expertise. So if you like what I do, why not let me do it for you? Find out more at cranegroup.com. That's C-R-A-I-N-E, cranegroup.com. We are with best-selling author Michael Neal. You can find him and find his books at michaelneal.org. Now, Michael, we have reached the action item round of the show. I'm wondering if you could please provide us with three quick action items that our listeners can do to begin to take advantage of your ideas and advice. Yeah, I, I, the, the three things that I have consistently found make a difference to everyone. And, and that's why I'm going to suggest them. The first is to get into the habit of taking a minute. And you can think of it as a minute for yourself. You can think of it as a minute to get present. You can think of it as, in a way, we spend so much time concentrating and preoccupied with our thinking that just getting into the habit of, of taking a minute off from thinking. You, you know, there's a word... It's a weird word, decentrate. Like it's, you can concentrate or decentrate. You know, taking a minute to decentrate. To, 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 um, in, in, um, Buddhism, they call it undistracted non meditation, <laughs> where you're literally just taking a minute to not try and work out anything, not try and improve anything, not try and fix anything. You're, you're stepping out of the thought stream for a minute. And what happens is when you step back in, fresh thought is there. It, it's, it's a very simple thing that people are so reluctant to do. It's almost comical. I, I, I remember working with a, a CEO who got so mad that I was taking, asking her to take 60 seconds of her precious time to not think that, that she actually said, just tell me what to effing do and I'll effing do it. And I laughed and I said, well, you should effing fire me because that's not how we work. That's not how human beings work. Now, once she actually did it, she only had to do it once. And she settled and she saw. But it is funny how one minute sounds like, wait, a minute? So that's, right. so that's the first thing. If you can get in the habit of taking a minute, it's amazing what that does. Second thing we've talked about, but it's, it's worth emphasizing, which is learning to listen. And, and when I teach listening and I teach CEOs listening because, and leaders, because we're all bad at it. Even if we've been trained, we've usually been trained as professional listeners. We put our, you know, listening face on and, and nod appropriately and rephrase what somebody said in a way to show that we're listening, but we're not actually just listening. If you listen to another human being the way you listen to a piece of music that you like, if you listen the way a video camera listens, where it's not trying to sort which bits are important and which bits aren't, it's just listening. It is extraordinary how much that deepens the connection between two people, but it's also extraordinary how you hear beyond the words. And the other half of that is when you listen to yourself in the same way where you're not continually judging everything that's coming up as good, bad, right, wrong, but you're just listening. You start to realize, oh, people already know what to do underneath the noise. They just never take the time to get underneath the noise. 
And, and then the third thing is go deeper into this. If anything that I've been talking about intrigues you, we, we, any of the books that you've talked about or the insider revolution or the space within or creating the impossible or super coach, but also on the website at michaelneal.org, we have something called the basic course. And it's something it's free. And it's something that we just created where you can in, in less than two hours, most people take about three days to go through it. You can get a really step by step deepening of everything that I'm talking about in, 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 you know, we kind of mix and match video and audio and some text so that something's going to go in is what I've found. And so those would be the three things. Take a minute, learn to listen, which is actually almost just unlearning all the bad habits we've got around listening. And then just read the user's manual, like in whatever form appeals to you. Because when you really get a sense of how we work, how well we're made, it, it takes almost no time at all to change. Well, Michael, it's been great speaking with you today. We're almost out of time, but before I let you go, one last question. You've given us some great advice here today, but what was the best piece of advice that you ever received and how has it shaped who you are? I think, you know, it's funny because it's, it's nothing to do with business, but the best piece of advice that I was ever given was when somebody told me that the, the point of a relationship was to enjoy each other's company. Now, my wife and I have been together 34 years, something like that. And when we got together first, I thought, well, no, you get together to learn and to grow together and maybe to start a family and to do all these good things. It never occurred to me that actually the basis of a great relationship is enjoying each other's company. And that was life-changing and game-changing for me. That is Michael Neal. You can find him and find his books at michaelneal.org. Michael, thank you so much for being our guest today on Everyday MBA. An absolute pleasure. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of Everyday MBA. And do you want to be a guest on the show? It could happen. Join our Knowledge Leadership Circle and be featured in an interview of your own. Be a guest. Just go to everyday-mba.com slash guest for more information. That's everyday-mba.com slash guest. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 